Welcome to the Dizzy Discussions Podcast, the clinician's guide to vestibular rehab. Our goal is to spread knowledge and awareness of current and up-and-coming vestibular assessment, evaluation, and treatments for the vestibular veteran and novice alike. Without further ado, here's your hosts, Eddie Ernst and Dr. Stephen T. Marina. I'm actually the group admin for the Evidence CEU Vestibular Study Group. I uh, started this group probably about two or three years ago, and my whole main goal in starting this group was I just wanted vestibular clinicians to discuss vestibular rehab with, and over the past two to three years, this group has blown up. So right now, I think we're over 2,400 clinicians from all around the states, um, even outside of the country, which is amazing. Um, So... As we've been kind of going through 2021, our main goal for this group is to kind of hopefully explode the vestibular rehab content a little bit more. Uh, You might not see me on the group often. I'm pretty busy working full-time in the clinic where we see about 50% of our patients with vestibular diagnoses, but uh, you'll be seeing my name and Trace's name a lot more. We are the group admins and moderators. We're hopefully gonna be pushing out a ton more vestibular content for you. Uh, Just to really work on clinical reasoning, we see a lot of the patient cases in the group um, are kind of, the clinicians seem to be getting stuck with, um, how do I get past that subjective history to a thorough objective history to developing a proper treatment plan? We want to talk about differential diagnosis. How do you kind of work through tricky, complex patient cases? And then we wanna discuss and drop some clinical pearls. We wanna discuss how do you modify VOR training for uh, patients with neck pain? How do you make sure that you can get the patient in the right Dix Hall Pike position if they have movement restrictions? So our goal over the next year, we're gonna try to challenge ourselves. is that every week we wanna drop a new vestibular clinical pearl and case um, review on Wednesdays. So we want you to make sure that you're getting the most out of this group and we can drop as much uh, vestibular related content as we can so that you can grow in your clinical practice. So this week, our main goal is to discuss a vestibular adaptation training. And we wanna discuss, you know, why do you use vestibular adaptation training? And then the big thing and the most important thing is how do you progress and regress vestibular training? And then I got a really cool patient case to discuss and how I utilize some of these principles to get the patient from day one to um, one month of rehab to full recovery. So first and foremost, why do we use adaptation training? The key goal for adaptation training is to restore a deficient vestibular ocular reflex, or one of its goals is to restore a deficient vestibular ocular reflex. We know that when patients um, experience a vestibular crisis event that produces vestibular hypofunction, which is weakening, weakening of their vestibular nerve or the signals that get sent from their vestibular nerve, um, what happens is that weakness leads to gaze instability. So vestibular adaptation training, its whole main goal is to ramp up and improve your vestibular ocular reflex. And so your vestibular ocular re- reflex is, is a pretty straightforward reflex. Its main goal is to maintain your eyes fixated on a target with head movement. So if I'm turning my head side to side and my eyes stay straight forward, I have a normal functioning VOR. 
if I have vestibular weakness on one side and I turn my head towards that side of weakness, my eyes will drop off the target and I'll induce gaze instability. So our training to improve that reflex is gonna incorporate head movement and gaze stability. So when we're talking about adaptation training, some of the common um, exercises that you'll hear in the group if you're not familiar with them or some of the common exercises that you might be familiar with, um, we call them VOR times one and VOR times two. Essentially these exercises, their whole main goal is to drive up that reflex, induce gaze instability so that your cere uh, cerebellum starts to correct for that deficient um, signal being sent to the brain. So the common exercise VOR times one is um, the patient will keep their eyes fixated on a target We'll give them the instruction to turn their head side to side. And as they're turning their head side to side, they're gonna try to keep their eyes fixated on that target. Now, some of the parameters that we might give for this exercise might be things like duration, intensity, how long they should do it. Typically our goal as rehab therapists is to uh, encourage the patient to move their head up to two beats per second or a little bit faster than two hertz because that's really when the vestibular reflex gets going. So if the patient's moving their head pretty slowly like this, that's probably not fast enough to induce change. Now I say probably not fast enough because the patients can engage that vestibular ocular reflex um, slower than two hertz, but the ideal speed would be two beats per second. So it looks something like this. Now, vestibular ocular um, training has progressions to it. So you might be familiar with VOR times two, and that exercise is essentially training the head and hand to move out of phase together. So if the patient is looking at a target, the target will move, let's say to the left and their head will move to the right while keeping their eyes on the target. This will induce a greater challenge to the vestibular ocular reflex. So head and hand will move out of phase and then our instructions will be to gradually increase the speed um, that the patient's head is moving to induce a greater challenge to the vestibular system. Now, um, why does this exercise work? Kind of like we discussed before, every time the patient's eye falls off the target, this induces what's called a retinal slip. The image will move on the back of the retina. And what that does is that might induce a little gaze instability, but the brain and the body through the principles of neuroplasticity and through your cerebellum will start correcting for that deficient VOR reflex and will actually start adjusting your eye gain. So then your eyes and your head will move in an equal but opposite fashion. And this will induce a, a more accurate vestibular ocular reflex. Um, what oftentimes you'll see as patients are doing this when they have that retinal slip occur is what we call overt saccades or overt corrective saccadic eye movements. So sometimes the patient will turn their head to the right or to the left. And when they turn their head to the side of deficient um, vestibular system, their eye will kind of fall off the target and then they'll jump back on the target. That's actually not a bad sign. That just shows you that the patient system is trying to correct for that deficient, um, deficient um, vestibular uh, weakness. Now, as the patient's improving, you might have a patient that benefits from VOR and they're getting better after week one or week two, but then at week three, they kind of plateau. Um, 
what happens is we might no longer see overt corrective saccades. Uh, in the research, you, they will actually describe these as covert corrective saccades. So they're micro small movements that aren't visible um, in room light that the eye is trying to adjust back to that target. So those are some things to kind of think about while you're um, progressing patients with vestibular ocular reflex exercises. But some of the key things that I really want to talk about today are what do you do with patients that are getting worse with vestibular training or getting better with vestibular training or kind of staying the same or plateaued? Because that's really kind of where the rubber meets the road. You know, we might be able to get, you know, 50% of patients better with VOR times one or VOR times two. But then we have those tricky patients that just kind of stop progressing or those patients that every time we try to progress them with VOR training, they just seem to get worse. They get more and more dizzy. So we're going to talk about the cases where patients kind of stay the same and plateau. We're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, when patients are getting better, what do we do? And then we're going to talk about when patients get worse. So I have a couple notes here. Um, our key areas that we're going to be discussing then are progressions and regressions of VOR training or adaptation training. So when I think about VOR training, I like to think about different variables. So if you're an orthotherapist, you might be familiar with the FIT principles like frequency, intensity, time, and type. Um, we can utilize those same exact principles when we're thinking about vestibular training. So I like to think about what are the variables that we can control for our vestibular training that can either help our patients progress or can hinder their progression. So some of the key variables that we like to think about are intensity. So for VOR training, intensity relates to speed. So how fast can I push the patient's head movement will kind of directly relate to the intensity of the exercise. So think about what I said before, we can have the patients move at a slow speed. So maybe 0.5 Hertz. We can have them move at one beat per second, 0.1 Hertz or two beats per second, two Hertz. So when you're modifying your patient's exercises, think about how, how intense is this exercise? So maybe you've given the patient VOR times one and it's day one after acute neuritis. They are highly symptomatic, they have seven out of 10 dizziness at rest and you give them, okay, you're gonna do VOR times one and you're gonna push it as hard as you can because we gotta get this vestibular ocular reflex going. Uh, you might, because the intensity is too strong for the patient at that time, you might induce more symptoms for the patient. Um, we actually had an instance where um, we had a new, newly trained therapist was giving uh, a patient VOR exercises. And as the, the, the clinician was giving the patient exercises, he told the patient to push the head as fast as they could. Well, the patient turned their head as fast as they could and they did their exercises with good compliance and they wound up in the emergency room <laughs> because they felt that their symptoms returned to the level that they had when they had that first acute crisis event. So it's something that you wanna watch out for. Oftentimes um, we like to start our patients at a speed that they can manage that induces a mild amount of symptoms, maybe one or two points above what they come in with or what their baseline is at. And then we gradually progress the speed up to greater than two Hertz or greater than two beats per second. So think about that intensity, make sure that it's appropriate for your patient. It's no different than when you're giving squats to a patient or long arc quad exercises to a patient. 
Um, you don't necessarily have to push the patient to their 100% max capacity. You can train them at 60%, 70%, or even 80% of what they have capacity for. So that would be kind of modifying intensity. So if the patient is, let's say, getting worse with your exercises, you can drop the intensity. If the patient is plateaued, what do you do? You can actually encourage them to move their head faster. If the patient is not inducing retinal slip, that small little corrective eye movement when they're doing their vestibular training, they might describe this as um, a blurring target. We might not be moving the patient fast enough to induce change or to progress the patient. So if your patient's progressed and you wanna progress intensity, think about encouraging them to move their head as fast as they can until they start to notice the target blurs. So let's say they're looking at a fixed target like their, their thumb or a letter, they're turning their head and the letter is completely stable. Encourage them to move their head fast enough so that that letter starts to blur up a little bit. That means that their system is at that limit point where it's starting to get challenged for gaze stability. And that would be a place where we can encourage them to induce some change to, to their uh, vestibular ocular reflex. Um, the next principle or next variable I like to kind of keep an eye out for is frequency. So how often are you encouraging the patient to perform their exercises is one of those key variables that you can manage. Um, maybe you have the patient performing their exercises five times a day or one time per day. Um, that frequency is another way to induce volume or to increase exercise volume. So you can encourage the patient if let's say they're plateaued to increase their frequency per day. Oftentimes we might notice a patient plateau because they're doing their exercises just one time per day. Or we might notice patients are having a really tough time keeping up with their exercises or even having prolonged dizziness because they're just doing it too much per day. Their system needs time to recover. We, we know that with orthopedic principles, but also with neuroplasticity, that you can overtrain the nervous system. So you want to make sure that you're not overtraining your patients when you're giving them VOR exercises. So watch out for that frequency. The number of times they do it per day matters. Um, the other area that I like to watch out for or variable I like to watch out for when thinking about vestibular adaptation exercises is I like to think about time or duration of exercise. So if you look at some of the research, it's varied in terms of the suggestion for how long patients should actually do VOR exercises. The most recent clinical practice guideline talks about duration in terms of total amount completed per day. It doesn't actually necessarily give information on how long the patient should complete the exercise in one sitting. There is a research study about a speed-based approach to vestibular rehab, and that study actually gives a little bit more instruction in terms of parameters for duration. In that study, they focused much more on the intensity of the um, much more on the variable of intensity and speed. And so they, their main focus was increasing the patient's head speed and the duration of exercises started actually slower. So 10 second intervals, 15 second intervals, 30 second intervals. So when you're working with your patients, you might um, be thinking about doing you know, one minute of VOR exercises. For patients in a highly acute state, um, they might not be able to tolerate one minute of VOR training. Think about maybe adjusting the duration of exercises, maybe breaking, um, breaking up their VOR training into sets and reps. 
So maybe they're going to do three sets of 10 second um, VOR times one horizontal head turns. That can be a really good way to um, help the patient get more volume or more duration of their exercise in without actually pushing them so hard. Um, think about also the principles of endurance versus you know, force or intensity. When we work with orthopedic patients, we might have our patients do three sets of 20 to work on muscular endurance, whereas they might work on three sets of five um, to work on uh, strength training principles. The same thing can go for vestibular patients. Your patients might report to you that they do really well in their daily activities, but when they go to the grocery store for a long period of time, they just have a really hard time with their gait stability and they report increased dizziness. That might be a clinical case where you need to increase exercise duration to start working on the patient's endurance to vestibular training. Um, but again, remember, if you're working on endurance, if the intensity is too high, it might be too much for the patient. So oftentimes when I work on endurance uh, exercises for my patient for vestibular training, I might drop the intensity down a little bit more. That way they can work longer, but not necessarily harder. So they can work on um, accommodating and increasing their functional kind of tolerance to movement without kind of overloading their system. We don't want them to redline every treatment session. So that's the kind of the uh, time duration variable that you can start thinking about when you're working with vestibular patients. Uh, kind of the last variable that I like to look at is type. So what is the type of vestibular adaptation training you're doing? Um, if you're familiar with vestibular training, you know that you can move the head in many different directions to induce change. So oftentimes vestibular exercises are done in the horizontal plane um, or vertical plane up and down. Those are common um, variations we can do or changes in type that we can do for our vestibular adaptation exercises. So side to side, up and down. You can also work in a diagonal plane which engages your posterior and anterior canal for adaptation. Um, you can also work in the yaw plane or in a side-to-side -side plane. So there's a lot of different variations you can do. You can also have the patient track moving targets or um, complete exercises where the head and hand move out of phase. So that would move, be moving the head and hand in opposite directions. You can do this in the horizontal plane, in the vertical plane, and in diagonal planes as well. So that can change kind of the type of the exercise. Um, but what happens is sometimes when we're working with patients, we do all these progressions and the patient just plateaus. They get 80% recovered. And you're like, I don't know if I can push them faster. I can't do more duration. I've already done times one and times two VOR training. Like, what do I do? What do I do if the patient's plateaued and I've kind of exhausted the basic vestibular rehab exercises. Um, think still about type. I like to kind of think functionally for those patients. A lot of times those patients need to start moving their head in larger amplitudes of movement and in functional planes. So what, what I'll do with, with patients who plateaued and we've kind of exhausted kind of your traditional vestibular rehab exercises is I like to think about amplitude of head movement or the, the the kind of the amount of head movement that they're completed. Um, oftentimes with vestibular rehab training, we kind of keep the head in, you know, 30 degrees of head rotation and we kind of stop there. 
patients might need to start moving their head in larger movements to stimulate the vestibular um, system in, in a different way. So I might have my patients start moving their head 90 degrees in larger amplitudes of movement to induce more uh, stimulation of the vestibular system. I might have my patient work on full 180 degree turns or 360 degree turns to get a full rotation or full spin. Um, if you look at any um, pediatric vestibular exercises, you can utilize stools to induce a greater arc of head movement. Um, so when you're thinking about the type of exercise, think about incorporating functional movements as well. Um, having the patient work in um, horizontal angular movements to induce stimulation to their vestibular system or vertical head movements like picking cones up from the ground or reaching up overhead. Um, don't forget those diagonal patterns like reaching up in a diagonal pattern. So if they reach up and towards the left, engaging left um, uh, head extension and rotation, that will engage the left posterior canal. So you can start isolating and stimulating those canals specifically with functional movements. And I've found that this is really helpful for patients who are plateaued and who are at higher levels. I also find it helpful for patients who are really apprehensive to move or apprehensive to do vestibular training. We'll often get patients in our clinic who have gone to other PT clinics and they've done kind of the cookie cutter vestibular rehab program where they've worked on VOR times one, VOR times two and balance exercises. And, and they just say those exercises make them worse. So what I'll do is I'll kind of, I'll push those exercises to the side. And I'll say, let's just get you moving. Um, I'll have the patients working on cone passes and rotational movements with their head and neck so that they're getting functional vestibular movement. We'll work on kind of de-escalating the fear by making the exercises fun, working on quick turns and ball catches. So kind of the sky's the limit when it comes to um, varying the type of vestibular adaptation exercises and the more creative you can get and the more fun you can get, your patients will get really engaged with the exercises. It can de-escalate fear. And sometimes you're gonna be able to really push that patient past their barriers. So what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna take a little break here. I'm gonna look to see if we have any comments on the Facebook group, see if anyone has uh, any questions related to vestibular adaptation training. And then what I wanna do is I wanna share a clinical case. Um, I had a recent patient who came in um, requiring a vestibular adaptation training. Um, he had some cervical mobility restrictions due to cervical fusion. So I'm gonna discuss that case in a few moments, but we'll give him uh, some time for a little break. I'm gonna look to see if there's any comments in the group, but feel free to post any questions and I would love to see if we can, uh, we can answer anything for you. Also, I'm going to see if I can uh, tag some of our uh, group members here. I know a couple of you all wanted to join in on the Facebook Live. So let me see if I can tag some people here. So I'm going to tag Katie real quick. So I just tagged Katie in the group. Oh, Leah asked an awesome question here. So Leah asked, uh, how about habituation versus adaptation? Leah, that is an awesome question. The key main differentiation between adaptation exercises and habitua ex habituation exercises is the intention and the goal. So for adaptation exercises, our goal is to adapt 
of deficient vestibular ocular reflex or vestibular spinal reflex or vestibular colic reflex. Whereas for, habit for, habituation, for habituation, our main goal is to, um, is to really conduct graded exposure to a patient um, to reduce or to habituate them to a, a previously provocative or sensitive movement. So VOR exercises can um, function as adaptation exercises, but they can actually function as habituation exercises if the patient just requires training for, let's say, visual motion sensitivity or motion sensitivity. So the big difference is really the intention, um, but you can really, some of those exercises will kind of overlap or kind of work together. So we might be doing adaptation and habituation together. So Leah, that was an awesome question. So let's see who else we're gonna tag. We're gonna tag Mega as well. Let's see who else we wanna tag in our group. We're actually gonna tag Mary Ann as well. Perfect. So I'm just trying to tag you guys. Hopefully next time, next week, when we do our clinical case discussion and clinical pearls, my main goal is to have someone else do the tagging so we can keep this as efficient as possible as we're going through our um, clinical case study and clinical pearls. But um, I wanna now share that clinical case study. So the clinical case study I wanna share is a patient who reported to PT with an acute vestibular crisis event. It happened three weeks prior to um, attending therapy. Uh, in the um, objective examination, the patient demonstrated signs and symptoms of vestibular hypofunction. He had a positive dynamic visual acuity test, a positive head thrust test to the right, and um, he also demonstrated a positive head shake test with um, horizontal beating nystagmus post head shake. So the patient demonstrated signs and symptoms of right vestibular hypofunction following an acute vestibular crisis event. Um, he's still kind of in that acute to subacute phase. Um, clinically, he demonstrated significant postural imbalance and dynamic balance impairments. He would lose postural control with walking with head turns. That's typically a sign of an impaired vestibular spinal reflex. He had difficulty with gaze stability. So when he would turn his head side to side while keeping his eyes fixated on a target, he would have um, overt corrective saccades. Um, and he just reported kind of a generalized um, imbalance and um, resting dizziness was about six to seven out of 10. So he kind of had a higher um, acute level of dizziness. So for, for him, what we had to do um, was really take him through a, a, a kind of a basic vestibular rehab training program. The only catch up was that this patient had a previous history of cervical fusion, um, two levels and um, reports of neck pain when moving his head past 30 degrees or kind of up to 30 degrees. So we were really limited in how, how fast and hard we could push him. So as we started progressing him, we, we started with VOR times one, basic training. We worked on balance exercises and he started to get better, but kind of slowly. And then we noticed we needed to get, get him to the next level. So we encouraged him, okay, start moving your head a little bit faster. Let's see if we can kind of increase that head movement a little bit more. And as soon as we started doing that, um, the exercise compliance dropped off and he started hitting this plateau and we're like, what's going on? So as we were talking with him, he's like, yeah, every time I try to do those exercises, my neck hurts. So I kind of just slow down. And then I asked him, well, how many times a day are you doing them? He's like, well, I'm really only getting them in once per day because my neck hurts too much after doing these exercises. So we're like, oh no, what do we do? Um, we can't do VOR times one. So what we did was 
We couldn't adjust intensity because of the neck limitations. Um, we were already starting to suffer on our frequency because his neck hurt too much. And then um, in terms of duration, the longer he did it, the more his neck hurts. So we're like, what variable can we adjust with this patient? And after thinking about it, we we're like, you know what? Even though he hasn't really progressed at VOR times one, let's go for VOR times two. Because what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to induce increased retinal slip so that his system will start to adapt a little bit more. So even though he could just move like 20 degrees in each direction, we had him doing VOR times one and VOR times two in that small range. And then um, what we noticed was he started to actually progress a little bit more. His dizziness level started to decrease as, as well. So that was a really good way of kind of just playing around with the exercise, the type of exercise, and then seeing if we can figure out a way around his limitations. We weren't gonna be able to change them too much just because that's kind of fixed in terms of the cervical fusion, but we were really able to adjust that. And the other thing that happened was he then hit another plateau point. We're like, okay, we're getting better. He's, he got about 50% better um, doing VOR times one, and VOR times two, working on dynamic balance exercises, working on walking with head turns. And then he hit a plateau and we're like, okay, we're kind of pushing our limit. Like what should we do to get him better faster or to start inducing more change? What kind of came to me was, you know, I'm thinking I can't change speed. Um, well, we're already working on frequency and duration. I think I can change amplitude of head movement. So we actually started having him work on larger amplitude head movements, working with kind of moving his body and in conjunction with his head. We worked on functional movements as well, like turning around, grabbing a cone and then turning 180 degrees and moving the cone. That actually induced a significant amount of postural imbalance and increased his dizziness. And we kind of knew we were on the right track. So we kind of modified the, the kind of the distance of the amplitude of head movement. And we were able to kind of get him past that next bump. So he's a great example of kind of using that clinical reasoning, using those variables of training, adjusting as you go, giving your patient just enough so they can get to the next level and then adjusting from there. Um, it was great. He was in therapy for about um, five to six weeks and he went from um, walking, significant postural balance, walking with head turns to, um, he said at <laughs> discharge, 99% recovered. He went back to work. Um, so it was a it was a really great experience for me to work with him to kind of push my clinical reasoning to start thinking about what variables I could modify with this patient to get around his cervical fusion and mobility restrictions. So that's kind of all that I had on for today. I'm really pumped for kind of this this next year to start doing more of these clinical pearls and case discussions with you all. Um, please feel free to comment any questions about this video. Um, we'll be kind of looking at the video and we'll try to answer any questions. We're also going to be looking at some of the case discussions that you all have been posting in the group. And we're going to kind of take those case discussions and try to pick some of the relevant ones during the week and discuss them during our clinical pearl time and our clinical discussion time on Wednesdays. That way we can kind of keep the discussion going. Um, oftentimes we notice um, uh, clinicians try to jump first to treatment versus jumping first to 
developing an accurate clinical diagnosis and working on differential diagnosis. So we're going to be really addressing and focusing heavily on that. But we're going to try to drop some clinical pearls in here and how to work through treatment um, difficulties and uh, how to use your clinical reasoning with those tough patient cases. Um, but hopefully you can tune in next week for our next clinical discussion. And our hope is to do it kind of in the mid afternoon and evening time. So thanks so much for joining. And um, I'm really excited about this next upcoming year. Thanks for listening to the Dizzy Discussion Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and learned something today. Be sure to continue the conversation on our Facebook groups, Evidence CEU Vestibular Study Group, or the patient-centered support group called Dizzy Discussions Vestibular Support Group. Also, be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to sharing our next episode.